Well, good morning, good morning. Uh, this is the lovely podcast, The Endurance of Labor Laws. I am your lovely host, Leslie Sullivan. And today we're going to take a look at the United Food and Commercial Workers Labor Union. This is a good one. Um, this one was started in June of 1979. And it has a rich history, even though it hasn't been out as long as the others. But even so, um, it is a good union. And it does have a little bit of scandal to it. But that just makes it more interesting, for sure. So let's go ahead and get started on this one. It says the United Food and Commercial Workers International Union, also known as UFCW, is a labor union representing approximately 1.3 million workers in the United States and Canada in industries including retail, meatpacking, food processing and manufacturing, hospitality, agriculture, cannabis, chemical trades, security, textile and healthcare. UFCW is affiliated with the Canadian Labor Congress and the AFL-CIO. It disaffili- disaffiliated from the AFL-CIO in 2005, but reaffiliated in 2013. I'm noticing that unions do that. They affiliate, then they deaffiliate, and things like that. It says UFCW is also affiliated to UNI, Global Union, and IUF. It goes on to say the UFCW was created through the merger of the Amalgamated Meat Cutters and Butcher Workmen of North America, AMC, Union, and Retail Clerks International Union, RCIU, following the new union's founding convention in June 1979. William H. Wynn, president of the RCIU and one of the designers of the merger, became president of UFCW at the time of its founding. The merger created the largest union affiliated with the AFL-CIO. The UFCW continued to expand both by organizing and merging with several smaller unions between 1980 and 1998. In 1980, the Barbers, Beauticians, and Allied Industries International Association merged with UFCW, followed, sorry, that says, followed a year later by the United Retail Workers Union, now Local 881. The UFCW held its first regular international convention in Montreal, Canada in 1983. The Insurance Workers International Union also that year voted to have their 15,000 members join the UFCW. In 1986, the Canadian Brewery Workers Union merged with the UFCW. However, it was also during this time period that the UFCW leadership did not support the Austin, Minnesota Meatpackers Local P-9 in its contract dispute with the Hormel Foods Corporation. This was known as the 1985-1986 Hormel strike. The UFCW ultimately struck a deal with Hormel management, seized control of Local P-9, and removed the local union leaders actions that dealt a blow to the credibility of the UFCW in the eyes of others in the lar- in the larger labor movement which I don't blame them for that because I think to do a takeover is kind of shady this dispute was the subject of the award-winning documentary American Dream I've never seen it but it might be interesting to see it says here in 1991 the 5000 members of the independent food handlers and warehouse employees union in Rhode Island and Massachusetts merged with the UFCW to form Local 791, bringing about the largest addition to the UFCW since its creation in 1979. On October 1, 1993, the Retail, Wholesale, and Department Store Union and their 100,000 members merged with the UFCW, becoming the RWDSW District Council of the UFCW. A lot of abbreviations, that's for sure. In 1994, Douglas H. Doherty was appointed the second international president by the International Executive Board following the retirement of William Wynn. 
Doherty was subsequently elected to remain international president at the UFCW's fourth regular international convention in 1998 and again at the fifth regular convention in 2003. In 1994, the 15,000-member strong United Garment Workers of America also merged with the UFCW. Now, something that just popped up on my mind. So we've got all these different unions, and some of them are garment workers. Well, a lot of garment jobs have gone to other countries, which I think is a huge mistake. And that has to do, I think it's called the North American Trade Agreement. That was um, put into practice uh, by Bill Clinton, President Bill Clinton. And, you know, I'm not a Democrat, but I think what he did was really wrong because it took a lot of jobs away from Americans, a lot of clothing jobs. And it sent them to Mexico, China, Vietnam, and other places. Like if you go buy a t-shirt from Walmart or Ross or even at Dillard's, like even really nice clothes as well, even designer clothes, hardly any of them are made in the United States. Or they might even, there was one I had that was made in Pakistan. Another one was made in Honduras. And I'm going, why aren't these jobs in the United States? So we're talking thousands upon thousands of workers lost their jobs in the United States because of that North American trade agreement that basically shipped all these jobs overseas or to another continent. It was very disappointing. And, you know, those are people, those are Americans that needed jobs and they lost their job. Like they lost their benefits. They lost their pension. They lost their health care. So then they were forced to go into other job markets. And I just think that's really cruel to do that, to take away jobs from America and from American workers. So, These garment workers, I just wonder how big of a loss they experienced. So if you are in one of these unions that I'm talking about and you've seen how some laws were passed that affected your job and your job went overseas, please message me. I would love to hear from you and I would love to hear your story and maybe have you on my podcast because I think the more people are aware of how job loss affects our country, especially when jobs go to other countries, I think more of America would wake up to the problem when sometimes the federal government tries to intervene or acts like they're intervening, but then they're really just in a way punishing the American people and taking our jobs, which is really sad because that should not be happening with the federal government. Like when the federal government passes something into legislation or law, um, it should not affect us like that. We should not have financial losses like that. You know, if your government really cares about you and cares about the citizens, they're not going to ship jobs overseas. They're just not going to do it. But anyway, that's just a tangent. But that's what that made me think of um, with garment workers and retailers and things like that. So it goes on to say a year later, the 15,000 member textile workers and the 15,000 member distillery workers unions merged with the UFCW. forming respectively the UFCW Textile and Garment Council and the UFCW's Distillery, Wine, and Allied Workers Division. In 1996, the 40,000 members of the International Chemical Workers Union merged with the UFCW to form the, to form the International Chemical Workers Union Council of the UFCW. A year later, the Canadian Union of Restaurant and Related Employees merged with the UFCW, and the following year, Both the United Representatives Guild, Inc. and the Production Service and Sales District Council merged with the UFCW. In 2003, 80,000 members of the UFCW across the country went on strike to protect their wages and benefit packages. I don't blame them for that. In 2004, following the retirement of Doherty, 
Joseph T. Hansen was appointed by unanimous vote of the UFCW International Executive Board to be the third international president of the UFCW. He was elected for two consecutive terms as international president by delegates to the UFCW's regular international conventions in 2008 and 2013. In 2005, Hansen announced the UFCW was leaving the AFL-CIO and joined six other unions, the Teamsters, SEIU, Unite Here, Laborers, United Farm Workers and Carpenters, and creating a new labor federation, the Change to Win Federation. On August 8, 2013, the UFCW announced it was changing its affiliation back to AFL-CIO. On December 15, 2014, Anthony Mark Perrone was appointed the fourth international president of the UFCW by the International Executive Board following the retirement of Hansen. And then it goes on to um, activity, and the first one is Canadian agriculture, and then the next part of this is going to be about medical cannabis and hemp division. So we'll start with the Canadian agriculture. It says the UFCW was appointed, appointed I take that back, the UFCW was, has attempted, my apology, the UFCW has attempted to organize agricultural workers in Ontario, Canada since 1995 when the pro- provincial government passed legislation prohibiting those workers from joining unions. That's a problem. In 2001, the Supreme Court of Canada ruled in favor of UFCW Canada in the case of Dunmore versus Ontario. In the ruling, the court held that the Ontario government violated the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms, I agree with that, by denying agricultural workers unionization rights under the Ontario labor law as it had infringed on those workers' freedom of association. That's very true. In 2004, UFCW Canada and the National Union of Public and General Employees, also known as NUPGE, signed a formal organizing protocol recognizing the UFCW as the union with primary jurisdiction for organizing agricultural workers in Canada and agreeing to cooperate on joint organizing and advocacy campaigns. This next uh, section is medical cannabis and hemp division. And I'm going to take a side note with this and talk about what's going on in Oklahoma with this. So it says here, The cannabis industry was originally targeted for union organizing by UFCW Local 5 Special Operations Director Dan Rush in 2010. After some initial success, Rush has since been serving federal prison time for cheating the union for personal gain by taking bribes from employers, and both the local and international unions have disowned him. In 2010, Rush brokered a deal in which some California medical marijuana business owners voted to become UFCW Local 5 members in return for a union endorsement of marijuana law reform. Recognized shops in Oakland include Richard Lee's Oakster Dam, what is that, University, o- Oakster Dam Gift Shop, Blue Sky Coffee Shop Dispensary, and the Bulldog Coffee Shop, and AMCD Dispensaries, Inc., and the Patient ID Center. Soon after, the workers at Medicone Farms of California joined the union. Between May 2010 and June 2011, more California business owners signed a neutrality agreement with UFCW, including Humboldt Bay Wellness Center and 707 Cannabis College in the Emerald Triangle of the California North Coast. The international union realized that the industry consisted of the union's core industries, retail pharmacy and healthcare, agriculture, food processing, and textiles with hemp. 
Few of these top-down recognitions or neutrality agreements resulted in competitive contracts for cannabis workers in California. Only a handful of dispensaries in California have dues-paying members. In September 2011, some of California, sorry, not California, some of Colorado's industry associations of legally compliant marijuana sellers representing 8,000 people voted to join the UFCW. The labor union which traditionally bargains mostly with grocery and meat packing companies solidified the national division that could represent cannabis workers nationwide on September 17, 2015 the office of the United States attorney for the northern district of California announced that a federal grand jury had indicted rush on a variety of counts on the basis of his cannabis related union activities he pled guilty in 2017 and served 37 months in federal prison I bet he regrets doing what he did. Okay, so in regards to Oklahoma, what I wanted to mention um is that we've got kind of got a little bit of some problems going on in Oklahoma in regards to medical marijuana. And so here is the scoop. Um and if you are listening from other countries, um please be aware that if medical marijuana is legalized in your state, your country, your city, your town, please be aware of outside companies from other countries especially like China that are buying up property and fields and acreages to get involved in medical marijuana and here's why I say that um you know I'm from Oklahoma and medical marijuana we voted on it to make it legal and I voted to make it legal because I think it's stupid for it to not be legal in the state even though it's still federally is not legal um I think it's stupid to lock people up just because of a plant. I think I think that's dumb. I think if you can smoke a cigarette, you can smoke medical marijuana. I I wish that marijuana was legal. I don't smoke it. I don't do it, but I think it's stupid to lock people up for something like that. But anyway, so what happened was soon after, actually really quickly after medical marijuana was made legal in the state of Oklahoma, there were these um international companies from China really wealthy ones, really shady ones that were buying up fields and farms out in the boonies of Oklahoma like they were buying up property and um acreages in towns I'd never heard of because Oklahoma even though we are kind of a medium-sized state there are so many towns in Oklahoma that I've never heard of and I didn't know they existed because they're they're small farming communities they may have been larger back in the day but whenever um highways and interstate highways were built i think in the 40s 50s and 60s um it took away a lot of business um from those small towns because a lot of these small towns um their main uh, access roads if it was a highway was route 66 so when these other highways were built you know post world war 2 a lot of these towns began to shrink up and also when um let's see See some of these towns they also shrank way back in the day even before then if they were originally railroad towns meaning the railroad went through but then once route 66 was built it pulled business it pulled uh consumers and customers away from those towns and then these towns shrunk even more when the interstates were built so there are a lot of these towns that yes I'm born and raised in Oklahoma but a lot of these towns I've never heard of and most of the time the only reason i hear of these small towns as if there's a scandal or if uh if there's a tornado on the ground and we're watching the news to see if it's coming near us 
we get to see the direction of the storm and the weatherman list all these towns and what time the the storm is going to hit those towns that's usually when i learn about my state is <laughs> when is when a tornado is on the ground but here's the thing what i want to make you aware of um we are having a problem with chinese companies buying up farmland out here and they're they're setting up shop to grow medical marijuana but it looks like a compound because what's happening is these chinese companies are bringing in slave labor like they have workers that are not allowed to leave the compound and that's going on here in oklahoma and the way that i found out was um some of these farmers had sold their property and i truly believe they did not know and here's why i'm i'm 99% sure they did not know who they were truly selling to cuz here's the thing um number one farmers are very loyal to the united states they just are They are true blue people. They they bleed red. They're true blue. They're they're really loyal to the United States. They look out for their neighbor and they would not willingly and knowingly sell to an international company, especially the Chinese. That's just not going to happen. That's just how they operate. Like they really would prefer to sell to people that are in the United States and also help out their neighbor. So, um what happened is Some of these farmers sold their property whether they were retired or someone passed away or maybe they just didn't want to be in farming anymore. And so they sold their property. And so then the new owners came in and they were using different types of farming equipment than these farmers had ever seen before because it kind of depends on what you're farming. So like if you're farming corn, that's going to be different than cotton. If you're growing cotton, that's going to be different than, you know, having an apple orchard, you know, things like that. So they know that there was kind of this different, you know, plant being grown and um they're farming it differently and it was chain link fences put up everywhere. We don't have that kind of stuff out here in Oklahoma. Like we have lots of land out here. Um we're known for being um our land is known for being flat. That doesn't mean we don't have little mountains and things like that and waterfalls, but Predominantly Oklahoma is very flat. Not as flat as Kansas, but pretty close. And you know, we just don't have um I can't think of any place that has chain link fences like this. Well, that was the first clue that something was going on that wasn't right. So, it was these these this Chinese company built a compound on the property that they purchased from this farmer. But the farmer did not know the company was Chinese. And here's why. A lot of these companies um when they're trying to buy up property they're going through a middleman. And I've come across this before in times past and how they're getting away with it is, you know, let's say for example, you are a Chinese company and you don't want people to know who you really are. Because you know there's some people in the United States, they're probably not going to have have a high opinion of you and they're not going to have a high opinion of your practices because you have slave labor and you treat people like they're cattle. So if you if you're operating as a not so nice Chinese company, you're going to go through a middleman also known as a holding company. There are holding companies, these types of holding companies I've noticed are predominantly located up in the northeastern states of the United States. It's more to do with brokerage firms, um stock holding, you know, things of that and um it it's it is how word this. It is legal. for what this holding company is doing. But it's shady and it's immoral. Because what this holding company is doing is it's just trying to make a quick buck. It doesn't really care about people. 
And I say a holding company. There are many holding companies in the United States. They're basically just a money pit. And I don't mean that in a positive way. It is a negative term to be called a money pit because it really devalues human life. Because you can't tell me these holding companies don't know the shadiness of their client. They just don't care who they're doing business with as long as as long as they make their their pound of flesh, so to speak on this. So these Chinese companies specifically look for financial um financial firms that are called holding companies. They they basically have the holding company act like the buyer. And then the holding company technically they do purchase the property from the farmer and they make it seem like the farmer is you know selling to an american and technically they are but what the farmer doesn't know is that that holding company is just a middleman and then that whole holding company is going to sell that property immediately to this chinese company and the chinese company comes over here to the united states comes in oklahoma sets up a compound with chain link fences and brings in slave labor and we have seen it people talk about it and they're shocked by it absolutely shocked and i was just like you've got to be kidding me china is still doing this i mean i know that they have slave labor in their country because they're communist but um i i'm just stunned that they're still doing this outside of their country because they were doing this in the bahamas years ago um i know some people that went to the bahamas for a vacation and the bahamas um they were they were building a um a new hotel or a resort or something And the people that I know, they were down there island hopping and they saw that this construction was going on. And so they they asked the locals what's being built there and they said that this um this guy, he I guess he got permission from the 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 government in the Bahamas to build a hotel, but he outsourced the labor to a Chinese company and this Chinese company brought in slave labor literally. and they set up a compound just like they're doing here in Oklahoma. They set up a chain link fence compound and they had Chinese workers there that were not allowed to leave the compound and eventually the the project fell through. But I was so disappointed in the government of the Bahamas. Like how could they be okay with slave labor like that? I mean, how could they be okay with authorizing a business deal you know with with the chinese when they know what they do they know what they're like and not every chinese company's bad i'm not saying that but some of them when they're really bad they're bad like this and it's unfortunately very common it is very common so we have some of that going on here in oklahoma and the thing is is that you're not going to see it unless you drive out in the boonies and you know where it is because they it's kind of like with these chinese companies they try and find towns and states that nobody's going to look or notice or they or they think that people there are predominantly stupid. Well, we're not stupid in Oklahoma. We are pretty smart and we are very loyal to our neighbors and we're very loyal to the United States. And we notice when there's shady stuff going on big time. Okay, so I took a moment to look up holding company definition on Google so that way I could give you a a clearer picture of what exactly I'm talking about because for many years I did not know what these were. I had never heard of them. So I'm going to read you excuse me of what exactly a holding company is. Excuse me, and probably in a second uh, sorry, second podcast. Sorry, I just drank a bunch of coffee. Um so in a second podcast or episode I'll probably go over the structure 
and the foundations of a holding company but here is the basic definition of a holding company and why other companies outside of the United States are able to get away with uh, what they're doing I'm trying to be nice about which is why I'm hesitating I'm kind of like thinking of how to say this appropriately and positively and concisely so that way I don't get sued um so The definition of a holding company is this. A holding company is a company whose primary business is holding a controlling interest in the securities of other companies. A holding company usually does not produce goods or services itself. Its purpose is to own shares of other companies to form a corporate group. So, I'll give another example of where I came across this. Years ago in my hometown Oklahoma, Um there was a a big shopping center that was built. Well, it it was big to us, but it's probably small compared to other places, but it was the big to do when this thing got built. And I noticed that, you know, they built this shopping center, this shop, shopping strip, I should say. It was it was a strip. And um we had a Target, a Hobby Lobby, and we still do, and we have a Hallmark and um but there were other spots available for retailers. And um there's this huge sign and uh it's it's closer to the to the roadside if that makes sense it it displays like what all businesses are there that you, that you can go shopping at they had some vacancies and i noticed the sign it said basically you know you know what is it like 5000 square feet i'm making something up it you know this square footage if you want to lease call this number this is the company well i noticed the company name had was a strange name it was a holding company i was like what's a holding company and so i looked it up and i actually called them and they never returned my call cuz they did not want to talk to me but i looked them up and this holding company was basically a firm that was the middleman for chinese companies to buy land and property in oklahoma and so what what hap- what was happening was like if you were you know let's say for example you know cuz i'm a licensed insurance agent in the state of oklahoma let's say i want to have my own business at a at a strip mall uh, center at a shopping center and i want to rent or lease that space on the surface it looks like you're renting locally or you're renting from someone in your town or in your state but technically you're renting from a chinese company going through a holding company so when trump said the chinese are very um what well, he didn't say cutthroat but he said that they are very serious um business people he wasn't kidding and he said that the chinese are buying up a lot of stuff in the united states he wasn't kidding and this was way before he became president that he said this so you know just be cautious if you are selling to a holding company cuz i guarantee you you have no idea who who you are doing business with and more than likely it could very well be the chinese because the chinese the way that they are manipulating our currency and our market is by going through American based holding companies that are not acting in a very American way. And maybe I'll you know in a later episode I'll go over the different holding companies that are in the United States. But the ones that have been affecting Oklahoma are holding companies that are from up north and northeast. And I found that very interesting because you know states in the central part of the United States and um the southern states You know, if we if we knew about this stuff that was going on, we would not sell our property to these people. 
We just would not. Because we want to keep things in America, like made in the USA, for the USA, that kind of thing. And we would rather sell to someone that is an American and, you know, wants to provide for their family. You know, the Chinese, they're not providing for their families like we do here. The Chinese believe in slave labor. The majority of the population in China is slave labor. And it's very difficult to get out of that slave labor. Um, so just FYI, that's kind of a side note with that and what's happening here in Oklahoma. And I guarantee you it's probably happening in Kansas and um, I would think Missouri like, like, or Arkansas, like the states that are considered stupid but we're not. Like th- there are so many people in the United States and outside the United States that they have figured out which states they think are hick states and that we're not intelligent. And that's where they buy up this land, and they, they go through the back door. They, they go through the back door every single time because they don't have the guts to say, hey, I'm a Chinese business, I practice slave labor, and I want to purchase your land. They don't have the guts or the nerve to just be honest about it. They're very dishonest people, these Chinese companies that behave this way. But here's the thing. You've got financial firms and business firms up north that they just want the money. They value currency more than they do human life. So just FYI, be aware of that. And it, um, it, it definitely should open your eyes to what's been going on because there's so many things that I didn't know until I looked it up. You know, it's kind of like one of those things you're driving by and you see something kind of funny, kind of fishy. It doesn't make sense. And that's when I start looking up things and researching and then I go, oh, this is going on in our country It's very concerning to me because I don't like to experience any kind of job loss in our country. I think that's very devastating to our country. And unfortunately, we have other countries, specifically like China, that are manipulating our currency and our job market. And they're doing it through a legal way, but it's not moral and it's not right. And I think if more Americans were aware of this, I think they would not sell to these holding companies. And also, if you're listening in another country, please share this podcast with everybody that you know, just in case the Chinese are doing this same cruel thing in your country. Because if you have rural property, you know, like undeveloped land in your country, and if it's super cheap and it, it, you know, on the surface it looks like property that nobody wants, you can't grow anything on it, be very suspicious If an outsider wants to buy it and they don't really want to tell you who they're selling it to or who you're really doing business with, please be aware and conscious of that. Like I could easily see the Chinese doing that in Canada easily because Canada is huge. You guys have a lot of land up there, but you don't have a huge population. And, you know, these bad Chinese companies, they love to pull the wool over anyone's eyes. Especially when you're not looking and your guard is down and, and you don't know what they're really up to. You know, that it's kind of, it's almost, it kind of reminds me of like when you're taking out a loan from like a shady bank and you don't realize that something is wrong with the loan until afterwards and you see the small print, like the really fine print. And you go, oh, if I had only known. So this episode of this podcast is me letting you know about the fine print because it needs to be known. So, but anyway, let's get back to this, um, to this union. So let's go on to the next section. 
And the next section is work stoppages and conflict with corporations. So it says 2003 California grocery strike. And this comes from an article entitled Southern California Supermarket Strike 2003 to 2004. It says on October 11th, 2003, the UFCW declared a strike on Vons, which is owned by Safeway, which is a grocery store, in Southern California because of company proposed changes to the new labor contract. These changes included cuts in healthcare and pension benefits that's not cool and the creation of a two-tier system in which new workers would be paid on a different schedule than existing working than existing workers and that to me is suspicious right there because why would you want to pay people differently i mean that just makes it a nightmare for hr and for your payroll department these changes were proposed due to competition from non-union retailers like walmart well you can't compare yourself to walmart i mean walmart is walmart i mean just don't even bother comparing yourself with walmart The day following the strike, Albertsons and Ralphs, owned by Kroger, locked out their Southern California employees. That's not cool. The strike ended on February 26, 2004, when the UFCW and affected companies reached an agreement on a new contract. Union employees voted to end the strike, and many employees cited financial difficulties as a reason for ratifying the agreement. The new labor contract included concessions granted by the chains relating to current employee benefits and wages. and concessions granted by the union relating to creating two tiers of employees and cutting benefits overall. The next section is entitled Smithfield Foods. It says during the 1990s and 2000s, the UFCW was embroiled in a dispute with non-unionized meat processing company Smithfield Foods. The UFCW had repeatedly attempted to organize the company's Bladen County, North Carolina meat packing plant. but Smithfield Foods resisted this organizing. In 2007, Smithfield filed a federal lawsuit against the UFCW citing the Racketeer-Influenced and Corrupt Organizations Act, also known as RICO, claiming that the union orchestrated a public smear campaign to hurt Smithfield's business as a method of extorting the company. In the media, a Smithfield official cited the lawsuit as necessary by claiming that the company was under attack. while union officials responded by calling the lawsuit an attack on democracy and free speech. In October 2008, the UFCW and Smithfield reached an agreement under which the union agreed to suspend its boycott campaign in return for the company dropping its RICO lawsuit and allowing another election. On December 10th and 11th, workers at the plant voted 2041 to 1879 in favor of joining the UFCW bringing the 15 year fight to an end that is a long time to fight long time the next little segment is about Walmart it says Walmart a non-unionized company has repeatedly been accused by the UFCW of treating its workers poorly and driving down employment standards the UFCW has repeatedly attempted to organize the chain But these attempts have been unsuccessful in the United States. In Canada, the UFCW managed to win union recognition at two Walmart stores in Quebec and one in I think it's Saskatchewan. I'm, I apologize if I mispronounced that. Walmart closed the I think it's Joncoir, I'm not sure, or Quer, I don't know, store and workers at St. Hyacinth Oh, and workers in St. Hyacinth voted to decertify UFCW in 2011. The union has also applied for recognition at a dozen other Walmarts and had won a contract at the Walmart store 
and I'm not sure I pronounced the town, but it's in Quebec, Canada. After a couple years of unsuccessful negotiations between the union and Walmart, the workers at the store decide to leave the union. Oh, that's sad. Um, let's see. The last remaining unionized Walmart in North America was located in Weyburn, whatever that name is. I can't pronounce it. Walmart successfully uh, repelled or repealed. I think it's repelled an attempt, um, an attempted UFCW unionization campaign. There in August 2013, when the Supreme Court of Canada dismissed the union's attempt to compel Walmart to reach a collective agreement with it, workers at the Weyburn store then voted 51 to 5 to decertify the union. In April 2005, as part of a volley of accusatory websites created by Walmart and the UFCW, the union created Wake Up Walmart, a U.S.-based website and campaign, with the stated goal of reforming Walmart's business practices. Okay. So here's the thing. I'm not surprised at all that failed in Canada because first of all, Canada is a socialized country. Even if they say they're not, they are. And the reason why they are is because they have socialized medicine. And on a side note with that, socialized medicine has been a huge problem for Canadians because there are so many Canadians that come across the border into Michigan and other states that border Canada to get health care because their socialized medicine does not work. And um, they basically put them on waiting lists to die. So there have been people from Canada that have had to sell their homes, sell up everything, and come to the United States to get proper health care because they can't get it in Canada. The only reason why you would want socialized medicine is if you are healthy and you hardly ever have any problems. But the moment you get sick, that's when you start to have serious problems because the government health care system is not going to help you. You're not going to get the health care that you need or deserve or what you paid for. Okay, secondly, in regards to Walmart... Walmart is a capitalist uh, company. Most of our companies here in the United States are capitalist, and they should be, because under capitalism, you can make as much money as you want, and you can employ more people, you can provide better benefits, things like that. It works so much better than being in a socialized country or a fascist com uh, country or a communist country like China. They're bad. Um, they're communist. Um, but see, here's the thing. The reason why Walmart is so successful is that it is able to provide large amounts of goods for a fraction of the price. And so the workers, they're not going to be making $20 to $25 an hour. That's just not how it is in grocery stores. I've worked at a grocery store, and it's just kind of the norm for you to make minimum, which I should be $15 an hour. That's what I wish, but... It's just the norm that if you work at a grocery store, unless you're in management, you're not going to be making a lot of money. And the reason for that is because it provides savings to the customer. So if Walmart becomes unionized, they're not going to be able to brag about their rollback prices anymore. Because the only way you're going to get the workers to have way better wages and way better benefits and way better health care is to raise the prices on all the goods that are sold in Walmart. And I guarantee you, Walmart is not going to be okay with that because they'll probably have to close a lot of stores because people are not going to pay high prices out of Walmart. They're just not. Like, I wouldn't. I'd be like, why am I paying that? I can go to Dollar Tree or Dollar General. It may not be the brand I necessarily like, but I don't want to pay those prices. That That's just how it is. Walmart is known for being able to supply and provide Large amounts of goods for a fraction of the price. But the cost of that is there are workers 
are not going to be paid super well. And that's not a diss on Walmart. I mean, I think any grocery store is not going to pay the average worker there. They're not going to pay them very much more than minimum wage. And the best way to get around that, if I was a worker at a grocery store, I would look into trying to get into management. Because if you can get into management, even an assistant store manager, you can move your way up to corporate. And then you can start making really good money at a corporate job because grocery store wages are not the same as corporate job wages. Like you, you know that that's just how it is. Because you have to look at okay, what is this job worth like within the market? Like that's how I think I've said this before in a previous podcast. You know, the way that I go in for interviews and I negotiate the pay rate is I look at okay, what job did I apply to or for? And then what is the the industry standard within the United States and what is the standard the the um the gross income standard within my state and my area and i always ask for more because you start high just in case the employer lowballs you which i can't stand it's such a slap in the face which just makes me want to raise my pay rate even more and be ridiculously expensive because I know that if they're going to lowball me they're probably not worth working for anyway because that just irritates me because I just look at them like I know my facial expression is like really would you work for that probably not don't insult me but um you have to take into consideration what industry you're working in and also the economy that you're in for that so good luck trying to get Walmart to be unionized if they went unionized I I don't know what would happen I mean I think it would be very difficult Okay, so the next section is called Bashaws. It says in 2007 Bashaws filed a lawsuit, and by the way, that's a supermarket. Bashaws filed a lawsuit against UFCW with the Supreme Court of Arizona. The lawsuit accused the UFCW and the union's operatives, including its it's called including its false front organization Hungry for Respect. of defamation and intentionally interfering with the grocer's operations to extort an agreement for union representation. The company also named Radio Capacina, I think it's how you pronounce it, a project of the United Farm Workers Union founded by Cesar Chavez. Oh, that's creepy. Anything found by Cesar Chavez is probably not the best thing to go with. Um he's a different character. We'll talk about him later. Uh, Councilman Michael Nowalski and Reverend Trina Zell as defendants. The next section is talking about the 2016 Jim Beam strike. In October 2016, about 250 workers for Beam Sanitary, Suntory, the producer of the whiskey bourbon brand Jim Beam, went on strike over long working hours and the hiring of temporary workers in lieu of permanent full-time workers at two distillery facilities in Kentucky. Now that I don't blame them for because I think if the employee or if the employer wanted to really want what is best for their workers they would just make people full-time workers that are already there and promote them. They wouldn't hire all these temporary workers. Nothing against temporary workers. I've been a temporary worker in times past, but if an employer really cares about its employees, then it's not going to lowball or underscore their current employees because that's just really rude and disrespectful. It says here the strike ended after about a week with a new labor contract that included a cap on the number of temporary workers and a commitment from the company to hire more full-time employees. Amen. I agree with that. If you're going to hire somebody, just make them full-time. Just make them full-time. That's the that's the proper thing to do. The next section 
is about the 2019 stop and shop strike. The 2019 stop and shop strike began on April 11th, 2019, when approximately 31,000 workers represented by the UFCW walked off the job and began picketing stop and shop locations in the states of Massachusetts, Rhode Island, and Connecticut. The strike was in response to the company not agreeing after extensive negotiations to a contract which did not reduce employee pay and benefits. The strike ended 11 days later on April 21st. The tentative agreement preserved health and pension benefits and raised employee pay. Amen. That is good. The next section it doesn't mention very much. It's called Heaven Hill and it just has one line. It says in September 2021 about 420 members of the UFCW Local 23D went on strike at the Heaven Hill Bourbon Distillery in Bardstown, Kentucky, and that's all it says about that. The next section is about political activities. It says in the United States, the UFCW's political action committee spent a little over 11 million dollars in the 2014 election cycle, 99% of which went to Democratic candidates and 1% went to Republican candidates. I completely again disagree with sending any kind of funds to either party. They should not be doing that. That's 11 million dollars that could have been used to help its members directly. not going towards a candidate but directly help the members because that's membership money. So, that's just my personal opinion. It says UFCW's PAC or PAC spent $673,309 in independent expenditures promoting the election of Barack Obama in 2008 and contributed $1.8 million to Democratic federal candidates in 2008 and $1.7 million to Democratic congressional candidates in 2010. Again, I disagree with that. That needs to be used for the members, not for politics. In early 2011, the Obama administration granted waivers to 28 different UFCW healthcare plans, allowing them to avoid full compliance with the Affordable Care Act for a year. Now, to me that is absolutely shady because that tells me right there that the Affordable Care Act uh was not a good act to pass at all. And here's another thing, if the president is showing favoritism to unions, then that means that anybody that's not a part of those unions is totally being dissed. And so your rights are being overlooked whether you are a union member or not. It's not right for any president to show favoritism to a union over the rest of the workers of the United States of America. See, cuz here's the thing, that affordable care act law was horrible for everybody. It was so bad that government officials and you know senators, congressmen, anybody working in a federal role, they squealed like pigs because they did not want that healthcare law to affect their healthcare benefits. So a special provision was written for anyone in a federal government role that they would not lose their health insurance, but the rest of the United States would. So here we see that there are some more exceptions, and this is in regards to the healthcare plans for this particular union, but even after a year, they were forced to look at other health insurance products, which is sad because that affects their benefits. And I wish their union It doesn't say it here, but I wish their union had called the president out on that and his administration because the union is supposed to be there to help protect the healthcare, the benefits and the pensions of its workers. And I kind of feel like they didn't do a good enough job of protecting them. They only protected them for a year. That's really sad. So, I'm very disappointed in that. The next section is the um, international presidents. So these are people that held a board position, which I don't really care about. and um it just goes through a list 
And then it goes through Canadian directors. I'm not going to mess with that because if you want to read it, it just lists all these different names and the year that they were in office. The next section is the Landrum Griffin Act violations, and it says here the Labor Management Reporting and Disclosure Act of 1959, also known as LMRDA, or the Landrum Griffin Act, is a United States labor law that regulates labor unions' internal affairs and their officials' relationships with employers. On October 22, 2013, the Office of Labor Management Standards, also known as OLMS, of the United States of Department of Labor, accepted a voluntary compliance agreement with the United Food and Commercial Workers Local 5 concerning the challenged election of officers conducted on September 4, 2012, as well as the March 22, 2013 rerun election ordered by the International Union. The union agreed to conduct a new election, including new nominations for the offices of president, secretary treasurer, recorder, and vice presidents 1 through 31 under OLMS supervision. The investigation of the challenged election disclosed that union resources were used when the UFCW international president sent a campaign letter to various UFCW officers soliciting contributions and his executive assistant what's that say obtained the recipient's addresses while on union time the agreement follows an investigation by the OLMS San Francisco Seattle district office A UFCW member in Southern California filed a complaint in 2013 with the OLMS against former UFCW 1036 trustees for illegally transferring $100,000 from the local union 1036 to UFCW International in a violation of section 303 of the LMRDA. Well, good for them. File it for sure. A statement reported, quote, The investigation disclosed that on February 26, 2009, the trustee Sean Barclay, appointed by the International UFCW to manage the affairs of the local 1036, transferred $100,000 of the local's monies to the International uh, UFCW. It says here the UFCW International agreed that the transfer was unlawful and should not have occurred. Funds were returned to the appropriate local unions following the investigation by the Department of Labor, Office of Labor Management Standards. And then it goes on, there's a see also segment that lists a couple different things like the impact of COVID-19 pandemic on the meat industry in the United States. And then it lists a couple different locals like local 832, local 1776, and then workers rights and meat packing industry. That would be very interesting to read because back in the day the meatpacking industry and I mean like at the turn of the century it was pretty grotesque what was happening in the meat packa- uh, meat packaging industry and there's a book I forget the name of it I'll look it up but there's a book that came out uh, before the I think it was before the USDA was founded um there's something else that happened there were really bad practices that were going on in the meat packing industry at the turn of the century and this book helped to bring about new regulations regarding meat packing and and things like that and um you know it's just one of those things when you have an industry you still need safety standards regardless of what the industry is it doesn't matter if it's a gross industry i'm sure slaughtering animals and meat packing is is not the most pleasant job but if you want people to eat meat you've got to have a meat packing industry however even though the nature of the job can can be kind of gruesome because of what it does you still need safety procedures and protocols in place
And so I'll I'll try and see if I can find that book and remember what the name of it is and let you know what that is and you should read it because it's really good. I just can't think of the name because it's been several years since I read it. Um but anyway, that is it for today's lovely podcast and again, this was discussing the United Food and Commercial Workers Union, also known as UFCW and right below their logo it says a voice for working America. I really love that phrase because American workers need a voice. And if a union can help with their voice, that is great. Because workers have rights. Regardless of what job you're in and what you do and regardless of what union you're in or if you're not in a union, you have workers' rights. So don't ever give up. Always be positive and look for the good in your job because I've had jobs where it was tough. and there were some days that were really bad but i just tried to find the good in my job no matter what and that helped kind of lower the the slings and arrows as they say of tough times so i pray that that helps you so until next time i pray that you're happy healthy and whole and that you're very blessed and prosperous in everything that you do so until next time have a wonderful day and a wonderful week thank you so much bye bye